You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Well, what a blessing to get to be together. I just want to welcome all of you. Whether or not you think of yourself as a member here at First, I want you to feel welcome. Because here at First, and at other churches, you have a chance to just be a part of us, to be with us, almost like a try before you buy. Get to know the people. See how they live their lives. Do the things that we do together and see if it's something that you want to be a part of. In fact, I'm going to ask all the members of this church to stand, and I'll just tell you a little bit about these folks. These are people who have confessed Christ. They've taken on Christ in baptism, uh, taken on His life and His death and His resurrection. These are people who, very simply put, are following Jesus. That's what our mission here is at first. We are simply people that are trying to follow Jesus. And we're doing that through that shorthanded group of four words of being with Jesus everywhere we go of doing the things that Jesus did and saying those things that Jesus proclaimed and taught and going into places that are sometimes uncomfortable, sometimes different, but they're places where Jesus is going. And so this group of people invites you to follow Jesus with us. And while you're standing, I'll I'll read our passage today. Our passage, if anyone wants to join by standing in your heart, you can do that too. This passage is from the first letter of Peter, chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourselves. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus will bring to you when he is revealed. Like obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance. Instead, as he who called you is holy... You yourselves be holy, for it's written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Well, we are all preparing for something. In our house this weekend, we were getting ready for CIY to send our our, uh, youngest off to Missouri. And uh, we're preparing here at church for the fall. That's right, the fall is one month away. School starts in one month. And that might seem early to be preparing, but we're wanting to get ready. And so I I, I wonder what you're preparing for. And you might say, well, now that I know that school's a month away, I'm going to take a trip. I'm going to get out of here. I, I need to go on vacation. I need to get away for a bit. Well, I don't know what you're preparing for. Maybe you're preparing for some kind of vacation. Maybe you're going to start something new in your education journey in the next few weeks or months. Head off to college. Maybe you're preparing for your retirement, looking forward to what that might hold. Now this might sound morbid, but possibly some of us are thinking about and preparing for our own death, making sure that our house is in order, that we are ready for the unexpected that might come. Or maybe, maybe you're preparing for a purchase. You've been setting aside some money, saving up some things for something big. 
Now, we're all preparing for something. Even if you're not actively doing it, even if you're passive and just kind of bobbing along in the water, you're preparing. Those that aren't preparing may just not care about which direction they float in the water. They may not even care about where they end up. Yet, that's a form of preparation, even if it's involuntary, even if it's unexpected. There is a big difference between preparation and wishing. Preparing for something and just longing for something. When you prepare, you're getting ready in advance. You're thinking about unexpected things that might happen. Getting yourself in the position to be ready for whatever it is that you want. If you're wishing for something, it's different than that, isn't it? There's no effort, really, in wishing. There's no training or really any action at all that you have to do other than to be caught up in your own thoughts. No real effort, no real training. It's kind of like the difference between having an online shopping wish list, things that are just sitting there, and actually having the money to make a major purchase that you want to pay expedited shipping for and you want to pay insurance for to make sure it gets to you. There's a difference between a wish list and actually making that purchase. As we prepare, and we are all preparing for something, we don't want to be about the kind of passive, aimless bobbing in the water. Now, I've thought about a lot of different ways that we get prepared, and, and maybe you might think of some of these too. If you're going to be going on a date, how do you prepare yourself? Well, you're probably going to take a shower. You're going to brush your teeth and your hair. You're going to maybe choose out a, an outfit that you really like, maybe your, your favorite outfit. You might make sure that you have money in your pocket and you have, you're kind of on your best behavior. You're sitting up a little taller. Maybe even you're putting on a girdle. What? Now that, that sounds pretty old. Now, yes, even today, we, we, we deal with girdles, right? And we know, we know what they are. This is something that's to provide some shape and support for men and women to the torso region, right? To, to hide. And they, they've been around a long time. I don't care how old you are, this is still happening. And, and sometimes they're for medical purposes. A lot of times they're for aesthetic appearance purposes to shape or to form or lift up or enhance what's going on in our body, right? Well, now we have these kind of things in sports as well, athletics. Whenever you're getting ready for sports, you've got to put on equipment that's going to protect you. And so that might be a jock strap or a sports bra. Now, I know, you got up this morning and you thought, is Brady really going to say those things? Where are we going, Brady? What's wrong with you? Okay, I know. My mom would probably add completely inappropriate to bring those things up. But lest you think I'm too far out of line, this is the kind of image that Peter gives to us. Girding up the loins of our mind. He gives us this rather graphic image of what it is for preparing ourselves 
for something that's coming. And it's vivid. It's graphic. It's not the way we might want to do it. But it's like an athletic event where you're getting yourself ready for some rigorous activity. Now, another kind of preparation might be getting ready for battle. If we were to jump to Ephesians chapter 6, putting on the armor of God, choosing the equipment, girding yourself up means getting yourself ready. Now, getting ready for battle is different from getting ready for a date most of the time. (laughs) Hopefully all of the time. Different level of preparation is needed. Now, what Peter's drawing upon may, be, may seem a little less graphic, less vivid for us, because it's so far away. In the first century, and even till today, a lot of the dress was for both men and women a longer robe, kind of a one-piece robe, layers of these. And they're great for walking. They're great for ventilation. They're great for protection from the sun. But if you need to move, if you need to compete, if you need to be in battle, a different kind of setup is needed. And so to gird up would mean to take that extra stuff from the robe, to wrap it up a bit and tuck it in your waistband so that you could move, so that you could be quick. You don't want to step on your dress, men or women, walking up the steps or in the midst of battle or when you're running. You needed to get things girded up and ready for what's next. Well, this this kind of tucking, this preparation of tucking things into the belt is what Peter talks about. It makes us think even of another image, a Passover image from Exodus 12. When the enslaved people were ready to leave Egypt and God was going to walk them straight out of slavery, And they were to stand eating by standing up. They were to stand girded up. They were to eat with their staff in their hands. They were to eat with their sandals on and ready to go. Bags packed to get out the door. Do you get a sense of what this image is? Of girding up. Well, Peter says, gird up. This is literally how it's described. Gird up the loins of your mind. The object of what we're preparing is our mind, which means our intellectual capacity for sure, but it's not, it's not limited to smarts. This is about getting your will, your inner being, your ability to choose ready for advancement, to be primed, almost like a volleyball player who's digging in, has their feet up. They're on their toes. Their eyes are looking for the ball and they're ready to spring whichever direction the ball might come their way. Being prepared gets us ready in advance for what's coming. And Peter was accustomed to this. He, he knew what it was to be prepared. And I'm sure the people that traveled around and knew Peter all his life had heard about the time when he left everything behind when he left behind fishing equipment and family, boats and nets. People were left behind. They were dropped because what he was ready for, what he was prepared for, is following after Jesus. There's a difference between wishing and preparing. 
Wishing requires almost nothing of you. Preparation requires a lot of you. And the difference between these two shows up in our actions, what we do, the steps that we take, where we're not just sitting back and waiting, waiting for something to just fall into our lap, but we're being active, right? Do you know many people, maybe you're one of these, that just lives your life sitting back, waiting for something to happen? Maybe even active in prayer. You're just waiting for it to fall from the sky, to appear on your doorstep. You're you're almost like a beggar showing up at a corner. You're waiting for the limo to pull up, to hand out of the window a bag of money, or the deed to your dream house, or some job contract. You're just waiting, but there's nothing in you where you're active in your preparation of what you're doing. The distinctive here is that Paul, or excuse me, Peter, is calling us into a preparation that puts aside all of the other choices that we've made, the desires that tend to get a hold of us, these desires that can almost be like forms that we pour our lives into, and to pay attention to those choices, those desires, and set them aside for a different kind of preparation. A preparation that's not given over to wherever our desires are going to take us, like a runaway car. Well, here in this story that Peter describes for us vividly, we don't want to be conformed by ignorance. We don't want to be conformed by a lack of preparation. We want to have our minds and hearts prepared. Well, how are we going to do that? Well, I'm going to tell you in a few minutes about the ways that we're preparing for the fall, something that I want to invite every single one of us into, preparing us in prayer for what's coming, what's next, preparing ourselves in prayer for the people that will come. Peter was one who prepared himself by prayer. He had seen it in Jesus as Jesus stays up all night often to pray, stayed up all night in the Garden of Gethsemane, stayed up on the Mount of Transfiguration, they saw Jesus prepare himself through prayer. Okay, so one thing that we've said and established very clearly today with this vivid image of girding up the loins of your mind is to be prepared. And the second one, the second part of this, it's almost like a second sermon, is about what our finish line focus is. What what is it that we're preparing for? If we're running and striving towards something, what is that? And again, in verse 13, we find out what that is. To set your hope on the grace that Jesus is going to bring to you. Our finish line running, the reason that we're preparing ourselves is to focus in on the grace that God pours out to us in Jesus Christ when he appears at the end. That's the way we get there. At First Christian, our mission is following Jesus. It's the way I welcomed you today. We don't have this mastered. We're not perfect at following Jesus. But we know who our master is. And we're on this journey together of following Jesus, committed to him. And it's not a simplistic goal. It sounds that way. Well, just follow Jesus. It sounds straightforward. But imitating Jesus, 
Becoming like God is no easy task. It's what Jesus showed us in his life here. Reestablishing in our minds and our hearts that we indeed are sons and daughters of God. We're children of God. We've been created by God. And God loves us. Loves us very deeply. He didn't simply make us, but He loves us as He has made us. And He has chosen to live in us. To live through us. To live with us. To dwell in our hearts and in our lives. In a partnership. That's the end. And so it's not some simple fairy dust wish tale. We are wanting to behave as we know God is. And with Jesus, Jesus shows us about this hope. In the same way He didn't give up on Peter, He doesn't give up on any one of us. He knows that our perfection, our completion, is something that comes at the end. We won't achieve it. We won't accomplish it by our own strength. We need that partnership with God. And anytime we think about our mistakes or get drawn down into the pit, we can think about what Peter shares with us. The grace that Jesus will carry to us, just like he carried the cross, that he will bring to us in the end. I don't know about you, but in life I tend to get distracted. Distracted by whatever screams the loudest. Things that I am doing or should be doing or want to be doing. And I get distracted by these things that are around me. Distracted from the task of becoming the person that God intends me to be. Do you, get, do you find yourself in that boat? Of being distracted by so many different things and forgetting that we are, by each choice, by the way that we live our lives, becoming a certain kind of person. And it helps to remember that partnership because it reminds us of how much God loves us. The truth that a lot of us forget we can't imagine that God would love us or want to be with us. You know, it's easy to forget those things, and sometimes we don't see our own goodness. There's a surprising thing that the atheist-turned-Christian, his name was C.S. Lewis, wrote. He wrote this in, in The Weight of Glory. And I like to mention this a lot. Usually I mention it in conversations, but C.S. Lewis says that if we could see one another as we really are, children of God, any one of us, we would be tempted to fall down and worship each other. But there's a veil that's put there where we can't see one another always as we are. And that is on us then to begin to identify every human being that we come across as a child of God. To recognize that they're loved and created by God. To treat them with that utmost respect. And also, when we look in the mirror, to treat ourselves with that respect, that God loves us very, very dearly. Again, Peter knew he was imperfect. He knew about his mistakes. And yet, the hope that he points us to, the focus that he intends for us to have, that casts our gaze on everything we do in this life, is the grace that Jesus will give us in the end. Well, this mind girdle is kind of an interesting thought, right? A little too graphic, a little too unusual. But this gets us focused in on the grace that's given to us. It gets us off the street corner begging for things. 
It even gets us off the pride pedestal where we look at our 401k and we think about how hard we've worked and what we've done to achieve what we've gotten. No, folks. Street corners or 401ks, it's all grace. It's gift. It's a gift from God. And we must, in this life, take on this mind girdle to prepare our minds, to prepare our hearts for action in this world, to let those minds control us and dictate and determine what desires, what choices we will not make any longer. Well, I mentioned to you that I was going to be very specific about what this looks like. I'm going to invite you into a mission that this entire church is involved in. It's one we won't talk about a lot publicly, and most of you already know about it from your groups and your group leaders. A major aspect of our preparing for the fall is how we're going to pray for our neighbors. We are going to pray. This is a five-week adventure that I'm inviting you on for five neighbors in your life, people who don't know Jesus. And I want you to pray for five minutes a day, five days out of the week, for five particular things. And the word is bless, B-L-E-S-S. You're going to pray for their body, their health, their well-being, their labor, the things that they do for work, their emotional well-being, what's going on on the inside, how they're feeling. You're going to pray for their social relationships, their family, their friends, their co-workers. And you're going to pray for their spiritual well-being. B-L-E-S-S. And I want you to think about the people that you live next to, the people that live across the street or the hall from you. Think about people that are in your life who do not know Jesus. And this is something for all of us. There's probably several of you who don't know Jesus yourself. Maybe you're you're in a church for the very first time. Well, think of yourself as that neighbor. The challenge is just the same. How can you ask God to bless your life, your body, your labor, your emotional well-being, your social well-being, and your spiritual well-being? And that's going to be our venture from today, July the 18th, all the way until August 21st. That's five weeks. Most of you have heard about that from your group leaders. Uh, if, if you've not, if you're not in a group or if you haven't heard about it yet, there's a basket that's in the welcome booth and you can pick up a bookmark and a little brochure that will tell you more about what that's to look like. And this is something that you can do in your household. If you're single, you do it on your own. If you're with your family and you have little kids, you might have to choose who the people are. If you've got teenagers or older people living with you, with you in the home, maybe each person is choosing five people to be praying for. But that's the challenge for us to be in prayer for our neighbors who do not know Jesus. Does that make sense? Well, let's, let's end today in prayer. Let's bow. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the challenging and even graphic things that show up in scripture that, that catch our attention and jar our minds. And we pray, God, that with this, this verse of preparing our minds for action, of setting our hope on the grace that you will bring us, that a simple verse like this will have profound repercussions for our own understanding about who we are in your sight. God, we pray for these next five weeks as we put into your throne room those people that we live around, people that we care about, 
that in this secret venture where we don't even have to tell people that we're praying for them, we may not even know their names, we pray that you will work on our hearts, Father, so that we can be the kind of people, the kind of followers of Jesus that are yours, sold out to you. God, we pray that you be with us as we gather around the table, as we continue our worship, that your name will be glorified and lifted up. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.